Well, hey, church family, we're going to continue worshiping by reading God's word together. But before we do that, let me just remind you of something I shared with you last Sunday, June 7th. We were reading from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, where Jesus commanded us as his followers to ask God the Father for what we need. He then commanded us in the same verse to seek God earnestly and then to knock on the door of heaven to plead with God for what it is we long and desire to see come to fruition in our lives and in our cities and in our world. And in light of everything we've seen in 2020 with the uncertainty and the chaos and the confusion and any struggle to find some sense of normalcy, especially in light of the the tension that we have seen with racial injustice in our nation and trying to wrap our minds around an appropriate response to that because it is a gospel issue. But how do we do that well? I felt compelled to call us to prayer because we need the mind of Christ, a, a wisdom and an intellect that supersedes what we can summon on our own. We need the strength of God to be able to commit ourselves to this. We, we do not have in our own strength because all of these things, sickness, illness, pandemic, any type of tension between humans on our planet, any other circumstance that you may be dealing with, we do not have the strength to face those things on our own. We need the unlimited resources and power of God to sustain us as we move forward so that hopefully first we're we're reconciled to God and then we can be reconciled to each other and then we can begin to see redemption and healing take place in our communities and around our nation and around the world. And so I called us to prayerfully and intentionally pray and fast through July 7th, an entire month, more so fervently than we have been recently. I I wanted to set aside that time for us. Most of us are more familiar with prayer than we are fasting, and I want to acknowledge that. Let me just remind you what fasting is. Throughout Scripture, uh, when an individual, a follower of God, or the corporate people of God would fast, they would usually abstain from food. It might be one meal, it might be one day. We know that Jesus fasted in the, in the wilderness after his baptism for 40 days. I, I wanna make you aware that, that fasting is not dieting, it's not abstaining from the meal for some physical benefit, and I'm not asking anyone to do anything from a fasting or health standpoint that's unhealthy for you. But it may mean that you fast from breakfast. So you just fast from that meal each day. Or you fast from another meal, maybe lunch or maybe dinner. Uh, Last week, uh, when I was fasting, one of the things that happened for me is when I was craving food. Instead of going to satisfy that craving with food, I allowed myself to, to be redirected towards the Father. And for that craving to compel me to say, instead of eating, I'm gonna pray. And I would plead with Jesus for these things we're talking about and these things we're praying about as a congregation. Uh, Our children um, are fasting from certain things as well in our family. Our children are fasting from online engagement, uh, from video gaming, and from watching television, from screen time. And one of the things we've told them as parents is, listen, when when you're hungry for screen time and when you really want to do that, instead of that, redirect that energy towards praying and pleading with God for peace, not only in our communities, but in our nation for reconciliation between any groups that are estranged. And first of all, pray for reconciliation between us and the Father and people and God first. It was wonderful to talk about that as a family. 
So listen, let me just remind you, we're a week into that. Let's continue to be faithful through July 7th to pray and to fast. I will tell you that one of my favorite resources for that is this book by Ronnie Floyd. It's entitled The Power of Prayer and Fasting. Ronnie Floyd is a former pastor from our denomination. He is in an executive position within our denomination now. This is a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, There are other resources out there for this, but you identify what it is you feel led to fast from so that you can redirect that energy towards praying and pleading with God that his kingdom come. That's Luke 11 too. Jesus, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We long for that. So let's be faithful about that. Now, as we dig into our text today in Matthew chapter 7, I'm a little bit sad. I hope you'll turn in your Bible to join me there, but I'm a little bit bummed out because this is the last sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. And so therefore, our sermon series is ending on the Sermon on the Mount. And it has been such an awesome and fruitful time in God's Word, walking with Jesus on this Galilean hillside. Now, I've enjoyed hearing from some of you as you've shared emails or phone conversations about what the Holy Spirit has taught you during this series. Uh, So I'm a little bit sad about that, Um, but I want to remind you that, that all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares in one way or another that God is bringing about his eternal, unending, always and forever kingdom right here in the here and now. And Jesus always invites people who are following him to participate in that kingdom. Jesus says there's a kingdom of God, and then he invites you and me and anyone who hears these words to participate in this kingdom. And I want you to know the kingdom of God is at work, and there's something eternally significant happening right here in our midst, and Jesus doesn't want you to miss out on it. So as we finish the sermon series, let's look at his final closing statements that remind us about the kingdom of God and the assurance we have that we can participate in it. Matthew chapter 7, let's begin reading in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 29. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. But how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize a tree, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? And didn't we do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the river rose, 
The winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the river rose. The winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like one of their scribes. Let's pray in response to the reading of God's word. Father, we thank you for your scripture and we thank you for the reminder that we can participate in your kingdom and we want the assurance of that. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would quicken our hearts and our minds to hear and to see what it is that you would want us to know about your kingdom and give us the courage and the boldness to respond in faith so that we can know with assurance that we're not only part of your kingdom, but we have eternal life in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, the first thing I want you to know about this text, if you're jotting down notes in the margin of your Bible or in your journal, is that the only access into the kingdom of God is through Jesus. The only access to the kingdom of God is through Jesus. Over and over and over again, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount. Go back to chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, as I've mentioned already, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. And we say, and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying, Lord, bring your peace, bring your human flourishing, bring redemption, bring healing, bring restoration. And the Lord is opening up redemptive windows every day, even in the craziness of 2020, even in the midst of heartbreaking circumstances. God, the creator of all heaven and all earth and you and me is opening up redemptive windows in our communities to show us that his peace and that his joy and that his stability that's wrapped up in his character and who he is, is available to us. That's what Jesus is preaching over and over and over again. So it's not unusual for Jesus to say, don't you want in on this? I mean, I do. Today, this week, yes, sign me up and twice on Sunday. I want that type of kingdom and Lord, I want to see it now. And Jesus says, if you want that and you truly want to participate in it, the only way to do that is by accessing it through me, Jesus says. Listen, Jesus talked about a wide gate and a narrow gate. And a lot of times Jesus would use a, a very large contrast between two um, objects that people could see. Um, whether Jesus was teaching in Jerusalem or somewhere in Galilee, there were gates to cities, right? For protection, for security and safety. And so as you walk through a gate, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. You enter through the gate. There's a narrow gate. It says right here in scripture, the narrow gate is small. It's not well-traveled. The path isn't as worn as other paths leading to larger gates, but it leads to life. It leads to eternal life. It leads, opens up into this kingdom that we long to see happen that God can make possible through the finished work of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Jesus says in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. 
That's the way. And even when Jesus was talking about being a good shepherd to his followers, the flock, you may remember this from John chapter 10. Jesus talked about being a shepherd and gathering followers to him as the flock. The flock would be those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We have been born again by repenting of our sin, placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for our salvation, for our redemption. And now we believe that the same Jesus who died for us now lives for us to empower us with victorious, new, resurrected, eternal life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I'm the gate to the sheep pen. Like it's me. You've got to go through me to enter into eternal life. You have to go through me to enter into the kingdom of God and to lay hold of all these wonderful promises that God has brought to fruition in Christ Jesus. Jesus even said that in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And those words are stenciled underneath the logo of our church in the common area of our church. Many of you know that, and I can't wait for us to be back in that church facility together in the weeks ahead so that we can see those words and be reminded that entrance to the kingdom of God, which is something we long for, is only accessible through the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is very clear. That's the only way you'll get there, but many it's hard. It's difficult. I don't know if you noticed that, but Jesus commands us, enter through this gate. But he says it's difficult because the gate's narrow. And it's difficult because we have to repent of ourselves. I mean, to enter through the gate of, of Jesus, to profess our faith and belief in him, to have access to the kingdom, we have to confess our sinfulness and our brokenness. We have to ask Jesus to forgive us. That means humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves is not easy. It's not natural. We don't do it naturally in our flesh. That's why Jesus says it's difficult and the gate is narrow because most people don't want to humble themselves and trust me. It's difficult because not only do we have to humble ourselves, but it requires obedience. I mean, this is a radical call by Jesus. Jesus just doesn't want us to open up the gate to the kingdom of God by placing our faith in him and walking in and standing around and just staring for the rest of our lives. Jesus wants us to boldly walk through the gate of eternal life in Christ and then participate with him in his mission to redeem and restore this beautiful but broken world. That requires obedience to the mission of Jesus and obedience is difficult. Discipline and being a disciple, someone who knows and follows Jesus, it's not easy, right? That's why Jesus, I love him because he always tells us exactly what to expect. He says it's difficult. Not only do most people not want to humble themselves and repent of their sin and trust me, most people don't want to obey and follow the shepherd where he leads. That's hard. I mean, for any of us who are Christians, we have to ask the Holy Spirit, give us the ability to obey the commands of Christ. Maybe you don't, but I know I do every day of my life. Jesus says it's hard and it's difficult, but I promise you, Jesus says, the narrow gate is the way to eternal life. And Jesus is not only talking about the kingdom of God here, but we were created to live for eternity. And this means that if we enter this gate in this life, Jesus has given us a promise here that if we enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus in this life, we will have eternal life and participate in his unending, everlasting kingdom here on earth when he comes and remakes and redeems all that is broken and wrong with this world. And Jesus wants you to be able to participate in that. He wants all of us to be there but he won't force us to follow him. But he says, if you want to respond, enter through the narrow gate. That's Jesus. And you too can participate in the kingdom of God. 
Second thing Jesus points out here is he wants us to have the assurance that we're part of that kingdom. He doesn't want us just to respond. He wants us to have confidence and to know and to live victoriously and confidently that we are participants in the kingdom of God. And when he does that, Jesus says in, in, in this passage, he talks about two types of deceivers. The first one, he says here in verse 15, he talks about be on your guard against false prophets, people who will say they are representatives of God, but they're actually not. Well, how do we know if somebody's peddling the gospel to us or they're peddling some other false gospel? First of all, we have to study the word. We have to stay close to Jesus so we know what the sound of his voice sounds like. But what I think is more important for us in this text is that Jesus talks about not only people who try to deceive us, but he talks about a second group of people, people who deceive themselves. In here, Jesus talks about, especially in verses 15 through 23, Jesus talks about people who deceive themselves thinking they're part of the kingdom of God, but they're actually not. And I think it's fair to say Jesus is talking about many people who believe perhaps that they're part of the kingdom of God because they prayed a prayer of response, but they've never done anything with their faith. Now, listen, salvation is by God's grace through our faith alone. And what Christ requires of us is to put the full weight of our lives in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the power of his resurrection for salvation. For many of us, that was a one moment in time. But Jesus doesn't want us just to profess faith. He wants us to then follow him. And that's what a disciple is, someone who knows Jesus and follows him. And so what Jesus is talking about here is there may be many of you, you've prayed to receive Christ, but you've never done anything with your faith. And there is no outward evidence that you are a follower of Jesus and participating in the kingdom. Jesus is pretty clear right here. Grapes don't grow on thorn bushes and figs don't grow from thistles. In other words, bad trees don't produce this type of fruit. They don't produce any fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit and good trees produce good fruit. In other words, if you're part of the kingdom, it should manifest itself in some sort of spiritual fruit that is consistent with repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. If you're part of the kingdom of God, if you've already responded to faith in Jesus Christ, the way to have assurance and to know is to see the fruit that's been manifested in your life, past, present, and future, to know that God is transforming and producing by the power of the Holy Spirit something in you that is consistent with salvation being alive in you. If there's no spiritual fruit in our lives, I am not judge or jury of anyone's salvation. None of us are. Jesus even said that in Matthew chapter 7. We are not to judge anyone else. And no one truly knows the motivations or what's going on in a person's heart. We don't. But if there's no spiritual fruit in your life, if let's, let's take some of those fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If these things are not manifested in your life, if you have no desire to serve the Lord and to be generous and compassionate and empathetic to others, it could be an indication that there's something wrong with the tree that's not producing good fruit. This is very sobering and shocking, and it is a harsh warning. Jesus says that there are many people that are going to think they're part of the kingdom of God. And when they meet Jesus after they leave this life, after they slip into eternity, 
at the point of death and meet Jesus, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. In other words, we're not in covenant relationship together. There's no intimacy. We don't know each other. And Jesus says here that some people will say, well, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. And what's interesting is doing the will of God is, is often not about miraculous, charismatic works that are visible and observable. But oftentimes, many times, works that are consistent with the kingdom of God doing things for him are more consistently compassion towards those who are brokenhearted. It is loving the ostracized. It is doing justice and speaking up for the oppressed. More than doing miraculous things for God, it's often those things. Jesus says there will be people that will call out to me and say, I know you. And he will say, I do not know you. So let me be very clear. We don't work to be saved. Salvation is by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's it. But as a response to being saved, redeemed, and born again, we ought to work out of the overflow of our gratitude to Jesus. Spiritual fruit ought to be manifest, a willingness to serve, a willingness to be compassionate, and to be empathetic, and other spiritual fruit ought to come out of our lives. Jesus wants us to have the assurance that we're participating in the kingdom and that our eternal salvation is secure. So if at any point in this sermon, any sermon in the future, you ever question your salvation, a lot of times Christians get discouraged, they get scared, I'm questioning my salvation. Well, listen, the enemy would never want you to question, am I saved so that I make sure I get saved? Listen, if you ever have that, there's always gonna be doubt, there's always gonna be fear or concern in this beautiful but broken world. Allow those things, even hearing this text, allow this to compel you towards Jesus, to say, Jesus, I wanna make sure I know you. I do believe you. I want to follow you. Produce in me fruit that is consistent with repentance and salvation. Jesus wants you to know, not only is the kingdom available, but you can be sure of your salvation. And that's what he's talking about over and over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus wants to make sure, I mean, this is the closing invitation of like the best sermon that any pastor has ever preached. And so he says, you can have eternal life in me. Make sure that you're saved. I don't want you to miss out on that. But I also don't want you to go through the wide gate because it's easy or popular or convenient and it's a road that leads to destruction. I don't want you to be separated from me for all eternity. It's a very serious and honest invitation at the end of a sermon. And that's what the text does for us. And Jesus kind of puts a bookmark on that in verses 24 through 27, where he says, the person who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on the rock. The storm still comes. Hardship still happens even for the person who builds their house on a rock. But for the person who hears the word of God, responds in faith and belief at point of salvation or through obedience anywhere along your journey with Jesus Christ in this life, that person is wise. And you're building the foundation of your life on something that is steady even in the storms of life, but most definitely steady and rock solid the other moments of life. But if you don't, if you hear this sermon, if you hear this text and you don't respond in faith, Jesus loves us and he would love us enough to tell us the truth. 
you're headed down a path of destruction. You're building the foundation of your life on sand. And it may weather one storm or two storms or last for a while, but eventually, if not in this life, in the next, it'll be destroyed. It'll be washed away and you'll be separated from God forever. That's a harsh reality. But Jesus always levels with us. He always tells us the truth. So how appropriate would Jesus end this sermon with such a strong invitation? And I, I don't know a lot. I got a lot to learn about the faith, but I know enough just to say amen and let the invitation of Jesus stand. I don't need to add anything to that. The kingdom of God is here now. The way you enter it is through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, there ought to be spiritual fruit produced in your life that's consistent with repentance and true salvation. If you're not sure about that, give your life to Jesus Christ today. Ask, seek, and knock for the forgiveness of sin, for the salvation that Jesus offers. And watch your heart and your life be flooded with joy and excitement that you get to participate in the kingdom of God right here and right now and to know that you will be with Jesus forever, literally, for all eternity in his beautiful, never-ending, perfect kingdom of peace, wholeness, and restoration. That's my prayer for you as we conclude the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to know Jesus, but he wants you to know him more than I do. I pray you'll have the courage to make that decision today.